This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Keller's Garden Center and Landscaping Services located on Kern Street in Exeter, Pennsylvania. Springtime is here and that means it is time to start thinking about getting your yard looking its best. Do you really want to be in your yard all weekend digging things up and planting something new? Wouldn't you rather spend time with your family by the pool or doing fun things with the kids this summer? Instead of cutting the grass, let the professionals at Keller's handle the hard stuff. They are family-owned and operated and looking forward to assisting you. Visit them on their social media page for more information. Keller's Garden Center and Landscaping Services. Get your free estimate today. Welcome to the PopGo Project Podcast, a platform for the discussion and discovery of arts and entertainment. We focus on highlighting people and events that add value to the world around us. Visit us on all social media platforms by searching The PopGo Project or visit our website at thepopgoproject.com. Welcome to the show and thank you so much for listening. Scooter, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Um, Got to start off by uh, saying thank you for doing this. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for doing this. Oh, you, have awesome. no, you have no idea. Uh, if you asked me when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, um, when I was introduced to Cole, um, if I'd be doing this, you know, 20 years later, I'd say, get out of here. <laughs> oh, well, that's awesome, man. Well, you know, you do a lot of cool bands around there, so we're still. I feel yeah. like we're a part of the Nepocene now with half the members and all of our crew and our merch company being from from that area. So, you know. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that, too. Yeah. But uh, I think um, you just saw Limp Biscuit. I did, man. I went and saw him last night. Fred, uh, I told him we were coming up. I, I, we're living in Kansas City now, and me and my stepdaughter and my wife. Uh, my stepdaughter is a biscuit fan, though. So I, when I found that out, I go, "Well, we have to show her the real deal experience here." So we got a hold of Fred and John and everybody. We went out, and it was awesome. Man. And, you know, biscuit shows. It, it's just a fun time. It's a good time, no matter. No matter, I, I don't think I, I, as many times as I've played with those guys, there's never been a bad show. It's just always fire, you know. So uh, it was really nice. And uh, we got to hang out with the backstage and do all the stuff. And uh, we pretty much got to go wherever we wanted on the stage. I think they gave me way too much liberty. Um, when we got up there, they were just like, no, nah, man, you know, we were close, but they were like, no, you got to get up. I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to be on the stage literally while they're playing. Uh, but it was fun. Man. It was cool. It was really nice, and they did it up. Yeah, we well, are a rock star yourself, so you get to have that those privileges. I saw them myself also for the first time three weeks ago when they played in Wilkesbury. Yeah, um, I, you know they they get a, a bad a bad rap, right? And they get they they kind of embrace that whole thing, and they and the tour is called Still Sucks. Their album was called Still Sucks, right? Um. But I mean, I've been a fan since I was like 16 or 17, and um, the show that they put on was one of the the best shows I've seen in a while. I, I had no expectations going in, um, but I left there with a smile on my face and saying that was that was that was awesome. Exactly. I, I think even if you if you're not a Limp Bizkit fan per se, you can still go to a show and appreciate it. 
right? Because the, the comedy part of it, Fred just being amazing. Uh, he's just an entertainer, man. And so was Wes and the whole band for that matter. It's just, uh, it's a, it's an energy in that room when you see that band play. You know? Yeah, I think people forget how talented Wes is too. You know, like, the, whole, the entire band is ridiculously talented. For sure. So, crazy. You know, Wes's brother, they used to be in a band called Kronk when we, when we were kids. We were grunted and they were in a band called Kronk and they were young. They were probably 13, 14. Um, and his brother was a dope bass player. Like one of the most amazing bass players I've ever heard to this day. And uh, I don't know the reason why, you know, with all the musician friends that we had and Fred and everybody around that, I think it, he just did, he chose not to do it, you know, but he could have been a, uh, an amazing artist. Yeah. Yeah. And you know Fred personally, I guess, through the years? Oh, well, yeah. We, you know, grew up in Jacksonville together. Um, and like I said, Wes, uh, Wes was kind of our uh, liaison to Fred. And everything. I think Wes probably turned him on to Grundig. Uh, and he just became a fan. And so uh, how we used to play, me and Sam used to have this uh, apartment on at the beach on Third Street. It had a giant deck. Um, and us and Biscuit would just play inside, inside the house sometimes when it was raining, outside on the deck, and just get keg and have a party. And it was just good old days, man. We guys as friends. And that's before anybody got signed or was even thinking about getting signed. We were just playing music. Do you think there's something about being unsigned and um, the simplicity of life before that that uh, you miss a little bit? Yeah, I think so. Um, I like the way it is now. Sure, of course. I mean, <laughs> they don't have to be signed and they can still, you know, uh, mold their own careers. Um, but yeah, it was a much simpler time, a much freer time. And I'm not talking about that as far as just being an artist. I'm talking about just uh, the day-to-day -day schedule and having to do things with it. the work of it all. Yeah. 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 So you just got back from a little bit of a tour, right? Yeah. We just finished the Black Sunday tour. So and that was the first tour post-COVID, right? Um, we had toured earlier in the year uh, or no, we, yeah, we had done one tour once the vaccine was out. Um, and uh, it was okay. It was, you know, people were still scared to go out. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the crowds weren't what they needed to be in certain places, certain places that were. Um, a lot of people were wearing masks. There was still a lot of mandates with clubs. Um, so, you know, we, we pretty much just tripled back stuff and did our thing, trying to stay safe during that time. But it was scary, I think, for everyone involved a little bit. Um, however, this past tour that we did, the Black Sunday tour, um, it seems like everybody is ready to be back out and have a good time, you know, um, which is awesome. And, you know, out of all of our bands, we had Black Satellite, University Drive, Cold, all the bands, all the crews, uh, merch, everybody. Uh, no one got sick at all through the whole tour. So that's yes. a good sign. That's great. And we were literally out. All of the bands were after the shows were out hanging out the merch table, just surrounded by people all every night, hundreds of people. So uh, yeah, it's it made me felt more secure. I think all of us. 
that's like a, 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 a win in itself. I, I was good for two and a half years. I uh, went with the family to Florida to Disney. And, yeah. Uh, came back with uh, a nice little souvenir called COVID. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I got it as well. I got it where, you know, my taste buds left and I couldn't smell anything. I remember one morning I was uh, putting my, trying to smell my weed and I go, what the hell is happening? You know? um, and not being able to taste things. The only thing I could taste was Coca Cola. I don't know if that was because I'm such an addict to it that uh, the muscle memory thing just, made me taste the coke but everything else i couldn't taste or smell for about a week did you have that as well no i got lucky that was my biggest fear uh was was you know a dying obviously um but uh i i had very mild symptoms and honestly i would not have even tested myself um if i wasn't going to see my in-laws who are a little older we were just traveling and i figured just to be safe you know test before we saw them and uh, i had like mild um uh jesus i can't even think right now allergy symptoms i thought you were gonna say memory loss <laughs> that too right but uh yeah i mean i felt fine outside of allergy symptoms that you know i, I have allergies um so I, and again i would not have tested myself so i could have been walking around you know unknowingly yeah. but so yeah i didn't lose taste i didn't lose smell but yeah it was my biggest concern was losing uh taste and smell because like uh, I consider myself a, a craft beer connoisseur, and uh, I, I drink for taste these days. Um, and if I lost the ability to do that, I would have been bummed out. You would have been bummed out. However, it, it only lasts a few days. It, it, like mine was, I think, a little longer than normal. But other people that had it said uh, four or five days, and the taste came back. I know people it took a few weeks. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I have heard of that too. Yeah. And you can't see me right now. And I do this on purpose, but like, I uh, am not a skinny fellow. Yeah. Uh, so I would have uh, been bummed out about not being able to taste food. Although maybe yeah. that would have done me good. Cause then I would have ate less. And then uh, that would have been a good thing too. I don't think I ate less. I still think I ate the same amount. It's just not as uh, gratifying. Yeah, the, you're right. The end of it all. But yes. <laughs> so yeah, you mentioned earlier, um, uh, kind of being part of the NEPA family, you mentioned you were uh, with University Drive, or University Drive was with you on this last tour. You had been, or they had been with you back in 2019 as well. How yeah. did you guys um, hear about them, and, and what made you bring them uh, on board with you guys? Well, actually, all three tours that we've done since we came started back. Uh, University Drive wasn't on all of the shows on the second tour however they were on certain regional spots where you guys were um for that tour uh i i don't know if it was uh, i'm an indie music lover like i love i i, I love indie music more than i love heavy music. Um, however i do love some heavy music um so i was on instagram one night i don't know if it was because of the uh you know the algorithm with nick and johnny and everybody with our band at University Drive popped up in a feed, but I, I saw the name and I go, oh, I had to check these guys out real quick. And the record was called Clear. Um, I heard maybe two songs, and uh, they, Ed had written, Ed Cuso, the singer for University Drive, had written this beautiful record uh, when his mom passed uh, and stopped dealing with depression and death and all the things involved in that. And, and the interludes, which uh, 
between the songs on that record were people talking about depression, anxiety, just fear of uh, losing someone. Uh, and it really connected. Like, I just sat there and listened to that record all night. And I called Nick the next day. I go, you know, University of He's like, oh. he goes, yeah, man, I, I do. Um, I said, well, do you think they would... <laughs> Do you think that would entertain coming out on tour with Cold? Because, you know, we're a heavier band. So I always figured those bands are, and, you know, some of those bands are pretentious. Some of them aren't. They're just cool people. Um, so they were, uh, they happened, a few of the members had grown up on Cold, you know. So uh, I go, well, man, hit them up and see if they would be interested in doing a tour with us. And we just gave them, I think, the opening slot on that just to see how they would do and see how they would like the road. Um, and they ended up loving it, and we all ended up loving them, uh, and becoming great friends with them, like a family as well. So uh, I'd do anything with those guys. I think they're, I think Ed, Angelo, Ryan—they're all just uh, amazing musicians, man. They deserve everything. So I'm going to keep pushing in University Drive as much as I can until they don't want me to. <laughs> I doubt that. Uh, earlier tonight, they're actually uh, doing a podcast with. Uh, a good friend of mine, Rich Howells, with the NEPA scene, and um, yeah, I saw they, yeah, they were uh, talking very highly of you, know, you guys and Cold, and and just what a great opportunity it was. And did you know that one of those voices in between those songs was mine? No shit. Yep. Wow. Well, that is awesome. Yeah. That is cool, man. Which which between which songs? Do you know? Uh you know what? I, I I don't remember. I think between track five and six. Wow. Um, I'd have to look to be sure. I don't remember exactly, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've known Ed for a long time, and when he got that opportunity with you and uh, the band, I was, like, so happy for him. He's Like you said, he's such a great guy. The whole band are just genuine people. And They're real artists. You know, I was talking to – we were talking about there's some bands that come out on tour with us um, that aren't genuine people. They're, they're genuine people. However, they want to, uh, they build a, they try to make, um, they try to play the rock star thing a little too hard, you know, to where it doesn't seem honest. And I think that that shows to the crowd when the band's not real or they're not singing about real topics or they're not being honest with themselves with writing. So um, University of Drive is definitely band that is honest with themselves it's it's all real music just like with cold you know so i think that's why i connected with it um and yeah i sat there and did uh this song shoreline that he had written for his uh his his stepfather building a life for his mom and then trying to deal build, he said i watched him build you an ocean I go, what? so oh it's one of the lines of the song so I, I he started doing that song just by himself on the last tour on the Black Sunday tour, and I went out there and I couldn't handle it. I started crying every night. I would I got it got so bad to where I would walk up to the side of the stage before he even started playing the song and telling the person next to me, "I go, you you're about to lose, you're about to lose it." Um, and then I was sitting, of course, the, everybody around me would as well. But yeah, it was so emotional, so beautiful. Um, but that's what he does, man. He deserves all of that because he's a true artist in all of those guys. So I, I wish him nothing but the best. Yeah. Ryan actually lives down the road from me. Yeah. Um, 
That's great. Great young boy. Yeah, and then, you know, furthermore, with the NEPA uh, attachments, you mentioned Nick Coyle, who uh, was in Lifer, the Drama Club, Stardog Champion, uh, countless um, projects that were all amazing uh, in their own different way. Um, and then you also had Johnny Nova, right? Yeah. And then you had Tony, who was oh, yeah. part of Lifer on the drums. How did all those characters kind of fall into place? Nick, Nick Coyle, uh, you know, I, I've been since the first time I heard him in Lifer back when we were young. Um, I heard the band and I was like, yeah, I'm going to bring these guys out on tour. So I, I've been a huge fan of Nick and everything that he's done uh, my entire life. He's, he's, you know, one of the best musicians uh, and beautiful people that I, that I, you know, met throughout my life. Um, and, you know, so we started, me and him and Lindsay, I had them both come out to California when we were doing Things You Can't Stop. We started creating the record, um, created the record. We did it all just us three. Um, and we had Aaron, a uh, guy come in and play drums, of course, but the rest of the record was... Uh, Aaron Fulton is his name, actually. Um, that's an amazing story in itself. We had had a drummer with us on that, you know, writing the songs and going to record that record with us. And then when we got out to record, things just weren't gelling with it. It wasn't, uh, he was a very uh, methodical, you know, by the book kind of drummer. And we needed something a little looser because we were kind of writing it. I'm not saying he's a bad drummer, he's an amazing drummer, just, uh, it just didn't feel right at the time. So we had to let him go. Um, so he went, and then we're sitting in the studio in Phoenix, Arizona, going, what the hell are we going to do? We don't have a drummer. We're in the middle of making a record right now. So it just so happens that the studio that we were in, which Jeremy Parker uh, was the engineer at that time, he did my super fiction record, did an Evanescence record with uh, back in the day. It's done a bunch of big things. He, uh, at the studio, there was a, a lot of practice rooms. Uh, for just local bands playing. And so me and Nick were walking down the hall and we heard this band playing and the drums. We were just like, what the hell is happening right here? Um, so we, um, I go, dude, I don't know what's going on, but he's an amazing drummer. I can't see him, all I can do is hear him. So, but I knew he was dope. So I waited until their band stopped practicing. And basically I just walked in, the practice room and I go, Hey man, uh, this is ridiculously strange to, to bring up or say or anything. I don't, I don't, I don't want to walk on anybody's toes right now, but we're in a band called cold. We're over here in the studio and we need a drummer to come in. Uh, and I think you're the dude. And so <laughs> he sits down, he, he, you know, they were, his family's like, what the fuck? and then he was like, what, what's going on right now? And then I was like, yeah, and they knew who Cole was. So he had come in, I think the next day, I go, man, can you just listen to these few songs and then come in tomorrow and maybe just try out, you know, just see if it flows, right? Uh, and good God, dude, he sat down. I've never seen anything like it. It was a magical experience. He, he literally listened to the record one day, came in the next day and just, we didn't want to talk about what was going on during the songs or anything like that. It just goes, man, he's a black guy, he had long dress. And uh, he goes, man, just 
let me put the headphones on it and just see what happens. And I go, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Let's just see what happens, right? Because that's the magical music, like just uh, things just happening. Like as I'm writing, I do the same thing. I just flow with it. And I go, this shit's going to be dope. So he puts the headphones on, starts going through, and we're like, yeah, okay, there's no rehearsal. There's no uh, tryout. You're the, you're the guy for sure. And he literally just busted through all the songs. Like within, I think, two days. And, you know, that was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. And not for nothing, the, the drums on that album, if you really, you know, listen to them, there's some intricate things happening. It's, it's really kind of an amazing thing. But he was just all about He didn't care, which was made it perfect, you know. It's amazing how, uh, I mean, obviously music comes together like that and how important it is to, you know, you can have a drummer that's by the books, like you said, and like, just, but if you don't have that gel, that vibe, sometimes it just doesn't work. And music is such a, an amazing thing. And, you know, I I feel so honored to be, you know, I'm not a musician myself. I, um, I love music. I can't perform it. So for me to be able to do this is an incredible thing for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Man, I, I'm sorry. I, I slipped away from the what topic we were talking about. And I don't want to not talk about that because, you know, like I said, Nick Coyle is my guy. Yes. Love forever. Um, we, so when, you know, after the record was done, we started trying to form a band. Uh, of course, Nick mentioned Johnny because we need to know the guitars. And uh, Johnny came in, and Johnny's a character, man. But, dude, he is the mad scientist, dude, with all the pedals and all the things. And he just made it, you know, even more what it needed to be. And then with Tony, we had a couple of things happen with our other drummers. And Tony ended up coming in on the last tour, kind of kind of saved the day. Like, he came in two weeks before the tour because we had found out that we weren't, we were minus a drummer. So Nick called up Tony. Tony came in two weeks, uh, learned 20 songs. He's a total pro. The thing, Tony Kruska, we were on tour, but on this past tour, we are on tour, University Drive's opening up, and University Drive's drummer ends up leaving for some reason halfway through the tour, two days before the whiskey show. And not for nothing, that's a, that's a big show for the guys, right? Like they're we're playing LA, we're playing the whiskey. Um, and their drummer had ended up leaving and after the Anaheim show, which was a dope show. It was pretty much sold out. Um, it was a great show. So I think they just came and picked up the drums and took off. So Ed and they were standing there going, what are we going to do? What the hell is going to happen right now? Tony jumps in and he goes, don't even worry about it. We had a show in San Diego the next night. And Tony, who I don't know if he really had listened to a lot of University Drive stuff, Tony's a he's a metal metal guy, right? So he wasn't really, I don't think he was listening to University Drive other than hearing them play before us. Um, so Tony goes, Don't worry about it, dude. I got you. And they were like, Well, dude, what are we gonna do about San Diego tomorrow night? He goes, We're gonna play the show. And so he woke up the next morning, listened to the seven songs. And me and Lindsay Manfredi got up. To, we went in the building to watch the show, just to kind of go, this is going to be a nightmare. Everything's going to go wrong, but it's going to be hilarious. But it's going to be what it is, right? 
Um, so we walked in there thinking that was going to happen. And dude, it was like he had been playing with the University Drive for years. And, you know, I think they, I think something was thrown around or somebody said something where they were like, you know, uh, how are you doing that? He's a goddamn profession. That's how I'm doing it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes, it is. And I go, man, it's a, a lot of impressive things happening with the musicians around. Well, not just that. I mean, you got to figure he decided he was going to step in, play a show prior to your show. Yeah. Yes. You know? He did that too. You know, and Johnny, John Nova uh, started out playing three songs, opening up the University Drive show. He would get up there and play the first three songs and kind of beef it up a little bit, give him a little extra guitar. And then he started, he just kept adding a song. So he was playing the whole set of University Drive before the thing with the drummer happened and Tony jumped in. So basically then you had half a cold playing with the University <laughs> Drive before cold played on and then after, right directly after. So yeah, both of those guys, uh, that's tough, especially for a drummer. You know, like Johnny said, he goes, it kind of loosens him up a little bit before the cold shot. Uh, gives him a vibe of the crowd and the energy and stuff like that. But Tony, you know, Tony just goes in his world and does his thing. So. Uh, that's a tough one to play drums for that long because we were doing what 20 songs at university drive seven or eight so 28 songs a night it's tough yeah i mean and i mean i'm, I'm not going to call them out but they're not getting younger <laughs> yeah nobody's getting younger man i mean the ud guys are pretty you know they're they're on the younger end but i mean tony and johnny they're they're young and i'm not saying i'm young but i mean i'm just saying like they're not uh I know. We, we talk about this, but yes, they, they're not, but they pulled it off in, in the, the entire tour. And there was consecutive, you know, there was six shows in a row sometimes, six yeah. consecutive nights. So, uh, yeah, but it was only a seven week tour. It was a little shorter than what we initially do. So uh, it worked, you know, and by the time we were out there, I think everybody was happy to be home, uh, get a break. Cause that was a, it was a tough one. However, it was a great tour. And the fans were great. And uh, like I said, everybody feels like they can come back out and have a good time. So it was nice. And I think that goes a lot to um, you know things I've heard about you and what a what a great individual you are. I feel like those are all nice. They're not, and here's why. I feel like, and maybe this is maybe it's a different time now than it was 20 years ago, but I feel like I don't know that bands would have shared members that were on the same exact tour yeah maybe thinking that it might take away from their own performance because you know the the, the audience kind of sees them prior and kind of might be weird or whatever it might be but it goes to you know show how supportive you are of not only you know your bandmates but the people you have you know opening the show for you and and all that kind of stuff so well, I mean, I think that the, when fans come on tour with us at first, there's always that weird little thing. Uh, you know, University Drive have known other people from our fans, so there was a, more of an easy connection with those guys. But when, when younger bands come on our tour, uh, there's always that couple of days of uneasiness, you know, like trying to figure people out. But at the end of it all, we're just trying to have fun now. You know, mm-hmm. we're trying to go out there and we're trying to give love and uh, let have people have a nice experience uh, when they come to a cold show. It's an emotional thing normally when people come to cold shows. So uh, it turns into a beautiful night, man. There's tears shed, there's people laughing, and 
it all it's kind of like the cold song man it's sad and then it gets happier it's a positive note to send you off you know so uh that's kind of like the whole thing so i think once they figured that out and this isn't a regimented you know kind of do this do this, do this uh be on time all this crap uh it's not like that man it's just like a big family experience and i think a lot of the bands that come out with us wait for days uh there's been bands that we just you know we hold dear you know, we gravitate towards those guys they're they're good people that's what it's all about has there ever been a band that didn't kind of fit that vibe um i mean there is i'm definitely not gonna say no but, don't do that <laughs> Uh, yeah, but there's been bands that, you know, I, you know what, not, not recently though. I don't think from the time that called after the 2019 tour till now, I don't think any bands have been, you know, that band. Definitely back in the day when, you know, active rock was huge and uh, early 2000s, late 90s. Yeah, there was some crazy shit that went on during, during shows with other bands and things like that. But everybody was young you know we were all kids and everybody just became rock stars and things were going uh lots of partying was happening so yeah that thing was all about now everybody's older uh as far as cold so uh yeah we just we're just trying to get out there and have a good time and pay some bills man. you know can you talk a little bit about you know the kind of rise of stardom i mean you were You've been around for a long time. I think you started in like what was '86 as Grundig. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yes. At least '85, '86 as Grundig, and uh, we had formed in Florida. We had pretty much played everywhere in Florida, and huge crowds. So we had the uh, audacity to think that we could go to Atlanta and do the same there. However, Atlanta at that time was very um, still very alternative REM-ish type uh, style of things happening there. So they didn't want any uh, any grunge bands there, you know, back in. So we, we got stuck, we, we played The Point a couple of times, which is, was a cool place at Five Points in Atlanta. I don't even know if that place still exists. Um, and that was a great show, but most of the time they would put us out at this place called Magruder's. It was out off the beaten path and, uh, in, I don't know, Norcross or somewhere, Alpharetta, outside of Atlanta. And we went out to play this show and we were there on a weekend and there was a band called Crawlspace playing there. Um, and so we watched this band and we were like, holy shit, these guys are ridiculously good. Um, and we ended up playing with them. And it turns out Crawlspace turned into seven guys. Uh, so it was basically those guys. So they basically put the two metal bands out at uh, kind of a redneckish bar. Uh, I don't even remember the name of the place, uh, but we played there many times, uh, many weekends with those guys and stuff like that. So that's kind of how we did our Atlanta thing. Um, I forget what your question was. You were talking about the rise to fame. Is that yeah, I mean, I, you know, in, in late nineties or in early two thousands, you know, when yeah. you, you had those those records, you know, you're kind of like every two three years you're releasing music. Yeah, you know, talk about like that part of your life and then obviously the next three records were spaced out quite quite a yeah. distance so yes okay so yeah so friend earth was a huge 
Colton fan. And like I said, Wes and all of us have grown up together. Um, so he, I, I think I was going to, I, I was always in, I, I worked at a golf course most of my life when I was younger. I always wanted to be, you know, a golf course superintendent. That was kind of my goal, either that or a rock star. The juxtaposition of that is definitely far away, but not because a lot of rock bands like to play golf. So um, I was doing that, and I, uh, the people that I worked for at Sawgrass wanted to send me to turf school, uh, which is a two-year thing, and then you, you know slowly get uh, trained into being a golf course superintendent. So I was about to sign up for the school. Um, and take off within two weeks. That day was a kind of a quick thing they wanted me to do to get out there. It was in Palaco, Florida. So I was. I remember doing papers. Me and Sam McCandless were living together at the time uh, on that house we were talking about where Biscuit and us used to play at. Um, and Fred Nurse just randomly calls, and this is the first time I ever talked to Fred. And he just randomly calls me. And he goes, "Hey, man, Scooter Warner." Yeah, he goes, it's Fred Nurse. He goes, "I don't know if you know me, man, but you know." Because I'm in Biscuit and we're a band. I said, yeah, we saw a couple of his shows. Um, and he was like, well, dude, I'm a Grundy fan. You still playing those sad songs? I go, yes. Um, he goes, well, I have Ross Robinson coming tomorrow, which is the producer to produce Corn, Biscuit, Soulfly, many bands. I mean, recently, Cure. Um, he, uh, he's coming in tomorrow to do something with Biscuit, but I want you to come over and play him a couple of his songs. I want you to play him Ugly and uh, Stripper Down or something. So I came over and I was so nervous. I drank too much before I got there because I was like, God, this is I'm a nervous wreck. Um, I put a cowboy hat on to kind of hide my face. Um, and I sat down on the couch and I played Ugly for him. And I think I got three quarters of the way through Ugly and Ross was just like, stop. And I go, there you go, we're done. <laughs> Good, here you go, take the guitar back. Um, and he goes, no, man. He goes, dude, you, you, would you be interested in coming out to LA and making a record? And I go, off that, like my whole life, I tried to we tried to get record deals. We'd spent hours in studios, all the things. And this one moment led to us getting signed. However, in retrospect, that one moment was my whole lifetime of all that, you know, uh, positioning yourself for that one moment, um, which was dope. So it happened that quick. Like he goes, I'm going to get you ready tomorrow. I even went home to my parents. And I was like, I don't know, something's going to happen to the cl dark cloud will come in and wash this all away. And it didn't. He called the next day and he said, man, I'm just got Jordan Sure on Flip Records. Uh, he signed uh, Biscuit. He's got a band from Atlanta, a uh, young girl named Jane Jensen on his label. He goes, so he kind of wants to take you guys on and, you know, you and Biscuit kind of run together and do your thing. Um, yes, of course, right? So I fly out to LA, which was a ridiculous experience uh, for your first time. I was 26 years old. I've never really been to many places. I've never even been on a plane. Um, so I got to go out to LA and then went to this big house in Beverly Hills did the whole wine and dine thing and we did the record deal and so we were on flip then and uh yeah man it just uh it just started at that moment it seemed like so fast we went out to malibu to indigo ranch to create the record with ross robinson i think the corn guys just got done or, or slipknot was about to come on after us 
but yeah, it was a magical thing. You know, we did the record, I'd say within a couple months, toured on that relentlessly. I mean, we want, we, we, we toured so much back then, man. I think one of the tours, we're counting the months, it was like 14 months of straight touring. And wow. we, didn't, we didn't even have places to live out of that point. Like none of us had apartments or places to go home to. So the bus had become our home. So we were just like, well, where, why, where, why are we going to go back? Like this is where I sleep at. Um, so just keep this out. And the record label, of course, was excited about that. So it was just uh, month after month and just continued. We just kept adding on to shows, playing with other bands. Um, so yeah, that happened. And we had some success with it. And then when 13 Ways to Bleed came out, I kind of uh, wanted a different sound. So I wanted to go to A, Seattle to record the record. And B, I needed somebody that was intertwined in that circle of uh, Nirvana. <coughs> Any of those grunge bands that we love so much. And it was Adam Casper, who's the producer. He recorded the last Nirvana tracks. Um, and he was a very dope producer. He was a guy that when you go to the studio, we had ended up going up to Seattle, we went into the studio, um, started doing the record. And he was the producer that lets the band make the record. He definitely gives you, you know, things that he, he would like to do. Um, but it's, it's a very cool experience. He's like, he just makes anything you do sound really good. Um, so we went through that record. It was cool experiences happening with that. Aaron came on and sang the lead song with us in Witch. And then there was a moment where uh, Dave Grohl and Chris Navasella came in the studio one day. And I think I walked in the studio and just kept walking by going, this is not happening right now. I haven't even had my coffee. And Dave Grohl sitting in there laughing with Adam Casper. So uh, I walked out in the studio. I had to, you know, gain my composure. And we walked back in. And yeah, it was just a magical time, that whole thing. And then when 13 Ways came out, it immediately, went, almost immediately, shit going with it. So some kind of surge had happened, you know, with all of that. I think Just Got Wicked was the first video off of that. And some kind of thing happened where right when the record comes out, we were only a few thousand away from a gold certified record. So that's when things started really going well, you know. Um, and then you're in the spider, of course, that just took off. Like that, that put us in a whole other world where we were doing, you know, Tonight Show, uh, Pepsi Smash, we were doing all these big festivals. Uh, Farm Club helped us out a lot. Matt Pinfield was an integral part of helping out Cole because not only on 120 minutes did he play us a lot, how, uh, we became best friends. Um, he, uh, he did so much for us throughout the week. I think when him and Jimmy Ivy started Farm Club, they had us come on there. Um, so yeah, it was just a, a whirlwind of things within those two records, 13 minutes we on stage and you're inspired. So yeah, I mean what were your thoughts? Like <laughs> what? thoughts of what? Thoughts of I mean, like this is all happening and you're exploding, and it's like this, is your life a whirlwind? Like, what, what's going on? Like, I, I think with the time when it's happening, for us at least, and uh, we felt like we'd worked really hard to beat it and that we putting in our dues, you know, and that was it. We were just like, we don't care what we got to do, we just got to do it. So we just got to stay out on the road the whole time. Um, so we just toured relentlessly with everybody. 
any anybody, like I said, was still at that point, really didn't care about being home. And uh, yeah, so that's it, man. You put in the work, you get it done, and things happen. And yeah. you know, granted, some people do, and it doesn't happen. But uh, you just gotta have the desire to keep going. A lot of people end up quitting. You know, I know a lot of musicians that throughout my career, and you know, just from back home. Every it seems like every time I go back home, they're a different goddamn band. Like you got to stick with something, find your find your footing, man, and, and make it happen. Um, so yeah, just stay together for a while and play, or don't just be a goddamn solo artist if you're that dude. If you got to keep changing band members, then maybe there's something going on. So yeah. <laughs> and then so you had the the success of those three records, and then like I said, like the three after that were kind of spaced out quite a bit is there a reason for that is it you know was it label related um i think uh different kind of pain was different because uh, uh no pun because <laughs> uh i was going through some stuff my sister had been diagnosed with melanoma she had stage four cancer during the year of the spider so uh before right before year of the spider that happened so me being out and traveling throughout there was really hard not knowing what was going on with her uh, because I think my family and her were protecting me from what the doctors were saying, just so I would, you know, so I could do my thing and live my dream, which I love them for that, but I want to know what's going on. So when I found out what was actually going on, it really, I was out, I think I was midway through the year, the spider kind of rise. Um, and it just broke me down and it took me, took me out. I, I couldn't, not do my little sister uh to while she's going through this so when that was over we took a we took a little break so i could be with her through uh you know the end was she beat cancer the first time and when she beat it you know it gave me this uh thing and i had gone through a lot of emotional things and i got through a bad breakup with my uh daughter's mother um so i was going through a bunch of bad shit. I was doing way too many drugs, way too much drinking. And uh, that record, Different Kind of Pain, was the one that was a pivotal record for us, for me, because it, it, it changed my life. Uh, you know, not that I still don't mess up sometimes and do bad, stupid things, but it uh, gave me more direction on what I needed to be and the kind of songwriter that I needed to be because I think that the songs that we create you know, they've always helped me and then it translates to the fans. Um, so I really wanted to, it was like, I was, I've told these people that the, the lyrics that you don't want to write down on paper, you know, I'll tell them, write any writer, any songwriter, the things that you don't feel you should write down on paper, things that are too close to you, but you think that people might go, what the, fuck? uh, those are the things that translate to people because those are the real things. And that's what they really want to hear. And that's an honest songwriter or honest writer. Um, so I was, that's how I did it with that record. Uh, I, that record became more of a, a real moment that was happening in my life. And it was funny when that record came out because it was a little different than you and Spider and 13 Ways to Be On Stage, which all our records are different. But that record, at that time to do something different was kind of strange because you're coming off a year of the spider. Of course, the labels and everybody wants you to 
make the same record. And uh, we just don't do that. So I made this real honest record about things that were really happening, things that I needed to get over and uh, be lifted out of. And I wrote songs to lift me out of those things. Um, and it, when the record first came out, the fans were like, what the hell is this? This is a lot of slow stuff on it. It's still cool, but I don't know, man. And everybody gave me shit for it for a couple of years. And I said, well, the problem with that, man, I said, the reason you didn't hear that record is because the reason you hear that record is because you didn't need that record, mm-hmm. right? So years years go by, and, you know, I, fans, those fans that were telling me that they didn't feel it, now it's their... You know, they can't live without this song or the song helped them or played it at a wedding, things like that. Like that record had, uh, it took a minute, but it, it became one of the best records that the Coles has completed and, you know, the Cold Army loves it now. Um, so after Different Kind of Pain, we went to Superfiction. And yeah, that's another thing. I didn't even know if I wanted to make another record then. And, uh, but we did, but I didn't want to make any, I wanted to deviate from everything at this point. I, I'm not, I'm not writing a personal record. I'm not going to write, uh, you know, no, no, try to not to be as dark as we had in the past. I just want to write it. I used to write these grandiose stories when I was a kid, uh, just, you know, about whatever, just a, like a scripts or movie kind of things. Um, and I just wanted to go into that world and write a record like that. So super fiction became that, um, which, you know, it turns out it was a dope record too. It was another thing. We always deviate from what we're supposed to be, um, which always gives the fans a little shock at the beginning of it. But then I think that they gravitate towards it. And now it's expected, right? Yep. So now every time they get a cold record, they go, well, we'll see what happens. We know it's going to, it's still going to have that cold feeling that, we're probably going to have a song on there too that we're probably going to choke up to. Um, there's going to be some heavy stuff on there, but it's going to be a cold record. And man, that's all I want to do is keep creating cool music. You know, there's no, there's no uh, set um, sound. Well, there's a set sound. There's not a, a certain uh, format that we have to follow anymore. And I don't know if we ever followed the fucking format. We just kept. <laughs> We kept doing what we, we always did what they didn't want us to do. Yeah. And it probably, it probably hindered our career and put us, you know, didn't put us to the status that we needed to be at. However, I'm still playing music. People are still coming to my shows. Still got a tour bus and we're enjoying our lives. So I don't know. Could be worse ways to live a life. That's all that matters, man. I, and a lot of fans get mad at, at bands when they deviate from, you know, what they fell in love with. And it's like, how is that fair to the artist that they do the same thing over and over again? Like, like that's not fair to them. They're, they're, they're creative. They want to try different things. And, you know, who yeah. are we to say, you got to do this again? Like, just and, and if you're a truly creative person, you, like I said, you're an honest songwriter. So, you know, you're writing about things as your life progresses and you become older. Kids, you know, you have kids, you get a family, other things become important to you in your life. Not that you write about that, but it just changes the feel of everything, you know, when you create. Um, and things are more important, you know. It's not a, a just like the first record. It was all just, I don't even know what I was talking about now, those songs. You know, they make sense, they make sense to me 
But did it make sense to anybody else? I go, nobody's going to know what the fuck I said. <laughs> As my songwriting progressed, I, I got a little better and still leaving it vague, but definitely giving you, you know, a perspective on what the song is and what it's about. Um, still, some people get it entirely wrong. They'll come up to me at shows and talk about a song, and I'm like, yeah, that's nothing to do with what you're talking about. However, it helped you once. Hey, it, it helped you through something. So that's that's all you need to know. I, I really got, uh, I think on the last record, Things We Can't Stop, that all these interviewers are calling in and they want to do a breakdown of what each song's about and exactly that. And I just go, I did that once and I just go, I can't do this. Like, I don't want people to know what the songs are about. But whatever the song's about when they hear it to them is what that song's about, you know? However, on the, on the past tour, we, I, I did do a three or four songs where I told them the why they were written and things that were happening. And I think I did that with those songs because of that, because people were taking out context and maybe uh, way too out of context. Right. Um, like the day Seattle died was basically written for Lane Staley. However, the Kirk Cobain little things are in there. Um, but I wanted them to know the impact that Lane Staley had on the friendship that we had towards the news life uh inspired that so you know yeah. it's like bam so it takes a long time sometimes for cold records because we got to live a life to write a life you know yeah i hear you that's <laughs> i was always curious as to how that works you know i mean you know again yeah we shouldn't demand you know every two years or whatever it might be it's it comes when it comes right yeah i wish i could do that i wish i was that dude that could just write a record every two years but I don't know. I think music's more important to me than that. I know when, uh, you know, I've, I've been through in the industry for so long. I remember bands that I was talking to and they were like, well, bro, we got the three hits. So everything else is basically fluff. I'm like, what? What? Why? A, why would you say that out loud in front of anyone ever? B, what the fuck? Fluff? <laughs> like, why would you want to put any fluff out? I, I feel like every song is important to me on the record. It's just the way it is. And it should always be like that with any of us. Um, so shame on them. However, those bands that I'm talking about, I don't know, they no longer exist. Right. Okay. I mean, I loved um, the follow-up, uh, A Different Kind of Pain from You're the Spider. And I think for me, because it came out after my dad passed. So I was going through you know, a weird time in my life too. And um, I asked some questions to you and I, I put on social media that uh, I was going to be talking to you. And so I created a segment uh, called take a shot. I wanted to try and engage listeners of the podcast, fans of guests to kind of get involved and take a shot in it and, and ask you questions. And a lot of them were just people saying, you know, how much you and your band helped them. Um, so, you know, people really love you. <laughs> I, man, I'm blessed. And I'm sure you know that. You feel that. Yeah, every show, every, you know, every time we get on social media, there's beautiful comments and posts written for us and, you know, messages to us. Um, really proud of that. Man. I'll say that, you know, if, uh, if everything fell today, you know, at least I had that in my life and uh, I was uh, able to make people uh, to help them get out of a situation that they were in because of a song. 
And I get it because I, I, I did that. That was, that was how music affected me when I was younger. You know, I don't, it's really hard for me to find those songs now. However, I still find them, you know. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a blessing in itself. And I think that's all the only thing a musician could ever want in a song that he puts out there. It's for it to, uh, I mean, people say it betters their lives. It helps them through a hard time. And, you know, like you said, your, your dad in the past, right? So yeah. like I was saying, you needed that record at that time. So it was important to you. And that's what it was. That's all it is. Yeah. And I don't want to keep it too much longer, but do you mind if I uh, read some of these questions for you? Yeah, man, let's go. Um, well, actually, one uh, is that Glenn, Glenn Lawless. He actually saw you in the airport. I think it's Granton Wilkes-Barre Airport right. a week or two ago. Right, right. Took I a picture his, with you. His wife or his girlfriend was on the plane. With me. I, think it was his, I think it was Leslie, his his wife's girlfriend. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I think that's how, how it was. But yeah, uh, yeah huge fans uh, of yours. Um, and he had asked... Um, how do you manage the expectations of keeping the fans satisfied with songs from cold, but also realizing that you have new members that contribute to the evolution of the band? Um, I think it's kind of easy with that because the people that we chose that I chose to be in cold, you know, it definitely, there's a, there's a, a moment, there's a period of time that, you know, they come in playing like they were with their other bands and stuff like that. But A, they, they, they are all fans of Cold. So they know the songs already, kind of. And then uh, they just have to get acclimated to, you know, being a little, I don't know, looser, a little not as great as they were before. You know, I, we, we play, uh, we're just, we're, we're, we just play, off, I play off five. Like I, I think Nick and Lindsay, when we first started, uh, working together they're like what the fuck is this guy doing right like some days i would just be like if the vibe wasn't there i couldn't sit down and do it um which made me feel strange because i wanted them to be able to work and do things but um so yeah it was stressful and i think that whole thing got in my mind when we were making records and uh, it tripped me out a little bit because uh, i felt like i was letting them down if i couldn't perform that day um however they, they got it, you know, they, they just saw it happen. So they go, well, some days it's great. Some days we're just not doing anything. Uh, but on the great days, it's really great. So, um, yeah, man, they just fit in perfectly. And Nick just, you know, Nick's been with me forever, like since Liker days. So he came in the cold as a cold member, honestly, you know, he fit right in. Um, so yeah, uh, and Johnny and Tony, I, I think they complement the band. Johnny has his own little thing, man. Definitely, he sticks to the script as much as possible for the Cold songs. However, he does some cool shit with his pedals that just makes it lifts it a little more. It makes it a little cooler. So I think it's great, and I like the evolution of all that. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a cool aspect of it. Yeah, uh, Christy. <laughs> Kenu said or asked this kind of goes to the you know, fans sharing their their stories too uh does the emotional toll of fans sharing their stories with you become difficult she personally hesitated to share her part of the story because ultimately um she just hopes that you know how much um it outweighs hearing the pain um 
through periods of my life, it, it, it's been really bad. And through other times, I think I've been more mature about it and dealt with it better. Sometimes I don't still to this day because, you know, uh, that's this reason I don't have social media pages, like personal social media pages. I had to get rid of my Facebook page years ago. Um, because every day I got on, it was just, I was going through so much shit, right? Like my sister got cancer again. Uh, life wasn't great. Things were bad. And then I got on there and there was just everyone else going through shit too. And I wasn't strong enough to help at that time. I wasn't strong enough to offer any advice. I just kind of go, I just ran away from it. Um, and then I write songs about it. You know what I mean? Like I still read it and I still take that in and all those little pieces I take in, you know, just gather in this little compartment in my brain. And one day things come out. So, um, I don't know, man. It, it, it like I said, it, it depends on what's going on in my life. If I'm strong enough to deal with it. Um, yeah. And I'll listen to everybody. Uh, every time I go out, every show, well, before the show, after the show, just, I'm just a hot mess and crying because dark <laughs> shit happened to somebody. You know what I mean? Um, people come up and you know, the kid had died a couple of weeks ago or the father or something tragic had happened, but they needed to come back home to make them feel better. Yeah. You know? uh, which is a, another just amazing thing that I never thought I would have uh, from writing songs. Yeah. People, people dealing like that. That was, a, that was a good question. Uh, ben Bush asked how he got hooked up with so many NAPA artists. We got over, we went through that, um, but Ben is a, a big supporter of the local music scene here in our area, so I wanted to make sure I uh, give him a little shout-out. Uh, Stephen Fott asked, will your past albums get released on vinyl or maybe a box set? We've been trying. I just wrote to somebody on a comment today. It's really hard because we were on so many different labels. We were on uh, Flip Records and Flip got folded into AM and then Interscope and Atlantic, so many different things. Geffen. So, um, trying to go through all the tape with that to find out where our masters are and ask them if we're able to release those on vinyl was a thing in itself. We finally got to that point and then basically ended up being uh, them wanting, you know. Universal owns everything now, basically. So they basically they wanted to charge us a ridiculous amount of money just to put our to buy the rights to our record to put it out on vinyl. And you can't just release it on vinyl. And you, we're not. This isn't a money grab for us. We just want to have these things for our fans, right? So just put it out. Um, and yeah, they won't do that. So. Um, we try every couple of years to go back and, you know, re-ask and see if things have changed or, you know, and I, I think eventually we'll, we'll get there and we'll make it happen. But not anytime soon, those records are coming out of vinyl. I would love to have them on vinyl. I collect vinyl. I would like those records in my collection of vinyl. Just yeah. To have them. yeah. Cool. Jennifer Winnie, uh, said do you think um, or when do you think a new album might come out oh well you know we the pandemic happened and instead of writing it just was a a huge blur for everybody I think so we just all wanted to be back on the road 
Um, so with us this year, we're going back out in the fall. We've done two tours already this year, I think. Yeah, so um, yeah, it'll be three tours in a year. And we just want to, uh, or no, the, the other tour was at the end of October of last year, but it's all close to um, we just want to tour it right now and have fun and get back and let people know that we're back and out and doing things like that. So um, I think that's what we're going to do this year and possibly next year. Um, we'll start out touring and then maybe next summer we'll go hide because we hate touring and playing in the summer and the heat and all that crap. We just like, we're reclusive, so we all like being inside. So I think maybe next summer we'll start riding one. Maybe we'll go to a cold place that's dreary, nasty. There you go. Figure it out. <laughs> well, I did get a lot of other uh, uh, questions, but I'm not going to keep you too much longer. I know you probably got important things to do. Um, but a Chris Hero did say that that man played a big part in saving my life. That's very sweet. Um, yeah, man. You never know. Like I said earlier, you know, writing a song and putting it out there and being able to do that. Nothing better than that. So yeah. I appreciate you, Chris Hero. It's it's amazing like what music does. And I think we talked about it earlier. And it's funny when I, I, I put this on social media Sunday or Monday and I got flooded with, with questions. And I even got um, a private message from a guy. Um and we ended up talking for it may have been an hour, maybe an hour and a half, um, about cold and what cold meant to us. And he kind of he kind of came at me initially, um, and I thought maybe he was like the photographer of the the photo I used because I didn't I didn't credit the photo because I didn't I couldn't find it anywhere. So I was like, all right, here we go. Like I'm gonna get yelled at, and I you know I would be more than happy to to give photo credit. But uh, he said. You know, he mentioned something about the song "Stupid Girl," and I, I've 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 seen past interviews about you talking about that song. We don't need to go there unless you wanted to. But kind of came at me, said what he wanted to say about it, and said I was kind of misleading the the audience with the question because it wasn't true. Oh, because you put "Stupid Girl" in the like he's written "Stupid Girl" and stuff. Okay. I, I said, you know, the band that brought us. Or gave yeah, us yeah. "Stupid Girl" and, and a few other songs, and he thought that I was misleading. I get that, I you know, and I, I think that's partly my fault as well because I was, uh, and uh, the, not, I love the song. The song was written by me, you know, Cold and Weezer Rivers from Weezer. Uh, huge Weezer fans. I love Rivers. He's an amazing songwriter. Um, the only problem, the, the main problem that I had with that song is that. The, the label, you know, after all, you know, we were an emotional band. We write these gut-wrenching songs, you know, uplifting from dark times. Uh, and then, the, of course, as soon as they heard Stupid Girl, they wanted to put that out as a single. I thought it may have been a bad misrepresentation uh, of the band. However, that song put us to another stratosphere when it came out. It put us, it got us on those shows and put us in another level. And possibly is one of the reasons that I'm still able to play today and have the fan base that we do and things like that. Um, regardless of what people think about the song. Um, but I'll tell you this, man, every time we play it live, people do the whoa woes and they go crazy and it's a great, it's a good vibe. 
you know. So it's a fun song. And, you know, going back to watching the Biscuit play last night, man, it's just a fun time. So, granted, you're going to have a lot of emotional shit happen to you through a cold show. But maybe for one or two songs, you know, just enjoy it for a minute. Grab your beer and, you know, sing along. It's all good. Yeah, it was just cool. Like, I mean, I had no idea who this guy is. I don't even think his name was uh, real. Yeah. But we talked back and forth, like I said, an hour, an hour and a half, and we got, you know, we got past that and, you know, agree to disagree. And, you know, it may have been, you know, half and half, whatever. Um, but he's like, you know, he said to me, like, everyone has like a, something to apply to the song Quiet Now. You know, he said, what's yours? Yeah. And, uh, it was, you know, it was easy. It was, you know, my, my dad passing. Um, and then the, the night that I was talking to him, I was getting prepared to, um, go to the vet the next day and, and put my cat down, uh, that I've had for like 18 years. So it was very, uh, a very emotional, uh, evening for me, but I, what I'm trying to get at is, is music is such a powerful, um, thing a force and it brings people together and um thank you for doing what you do and 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 giving us songs that you know we can relate to and and take with us and apply to different parts of our lives just like you know you're able to as well um you know your fan base is is rabid for sure i mean you know you say cold army i mean that's exactly what they are i mean they are you know your warriors they will go <laughs> to fight for you without a doubt God love them. I love them. You know, so uh, really appreciated of them. And, you know, even the guy that spoke to you about the Supergirl thing, you know, they, they're fearsome. Mm-hmm. Shit. They like their songs and they like, they like the things. I mean, anything tries to step in their way of their views of what they created for those things, it's good. They're going down. Yeah. So, but everybody finds, you know, that, you know, everybody, like you said, quiet now. Everybody can relate to that. And everybody can get down with that song. And everybody can get down with many cold songs. So it's cool, man. And dude, it's funny. It's not funny that you were talking about your cat. Uh, the funny part about it was that during the tour, I, when I was explaining that song, I was telling the story about how I had written it for one of a Cold Army fan, Matthew Kaiser, which became one of my best friends. Um, when I was talking about that, and I was like, and everybody has this experience, right? You, if it's a child, if it's a father, it could be your pet, because it's the deafening silence uh, that you, you know, that hurts you the most. You don't hear the uh, tapping of the, you know, your cat walking down the hall anymore, you know, the little scuffles in the other room, the doors opening, little things like that. Like that to me, when I had had that happened to me in the past was uh, not hearing that anymore. Yeah. Is, uh, is the worst part. Uh, yeah, today was, I mean, I went to work today and, you know, just being at work was a good uh, escape. But I mean, I remember, you know, going to, to fill his his food bowl and I'm like, yeah. I don't have to do that anymore. I have two cats. And so I, I would fill, you know, one for each one. And I was like, like halfway there. And I'm like, shit, I don't have to do that. And he's also, he was diabetic for, he was alive for 18, diabetic for 10, which my vet was like, I don't know how this cat lived for 10 years as diabetic. Wow. Um, so like I would have to give insulin every morning and every evening. So it's like, 
that routine that I've had for 10 years is, is no longer. And yeah. uh, just those little things like you're saying, um, they, yeah, it's, it's not there. And I mean, I've no, I've, I had that cat long and then I know that I've known my wife. Um, yeah. And the cat had, um, you know, it was, it was my friend's dad's cat. Uh, and that cat had kittens. His dad passed away. My buddy was in state college. And uh, so he couldn't take these, these kittens. So I just took one um, to help out. And I mean, I couldn't even have a cat in my apartment, but I saw the cat and like, I knew I'd figure it out and he was with me for 18 years. And it's just like, yeah. you know, I thought I was ready for it. I thought, you know, cause he was older. I mean, I'm not dumb. Everything years, that's a long time for a cat. Yeah. That's, a, that's yeah. a good life though. You know? Yeah. So. And he's with, he's with you, bro. So he had a great, he had a, he had a great <laughs> life. He's good. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, like I said, I don't want to keep you too 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 long. Um, I, I want to let you go. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, and I didn't want to talk too much about the the history of cold. I mean, you've been around for a long time, and people have probably heard your story. So, thank you for sharing what you did share. Um, what can people expect from from cold moving forward? Uh, you know, this year and maybe even to the year after that. Well, for this year, I, I think we are going to. We're going to, we're doing a fall tour. Uh, I can't really say the name of the tour yet. Some people may know it. I might have slipped up over on the road. But uh, it's more of an anniversary type thing. Uh, and so we're doing that. But it's only a three and a half week tour in, in September with that. Uh, more East Coast dates, uh, mid, mid-country, East Coast kind of thing with that tour specifically. Um, and then I don't know, you know, us and Biscuit were talking last night about some things. So we'll see what happens for next year. That could be nice um, to be back with them. And can I just say, man, I appreciate you, dude. You know, we uh, kind of hooked up with, for, from work and things. Uh, but you're a genuine guy, man. I really appreciate you asking to do the podcast. And, you, you know, everybody always talks good about you, he says great things. So it's nice to have you as a friend. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you said you have no idea uh, what it means to me that you take the the hour or so to to, to give me and can't say thank you enough. Um, thanks for everything. Music, doing this, um, you know, working with me at Axelrad for yeah. your, your merch and things like that. So, um, of course, dude. you guys yeah. are amazing. Well, I appreciate you. So, yeah, man. Anytime. Let's do this again. Well, if you do that, uh, that those shows with uh, Limp Biscuit, I'll hit you up. That would be yeah, that would do. be that'd be all time. Limp Biscuit, I'm setting you up. We're gonna do it. That'd be all Play time. Right there, yeah, we'll get it on, dude. All right, Scooter, thank you so much. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you soon. All right, my brother. I'll talk to you. Take care. Thank you. Bye.